With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, everyone. I'm Hilary Kerr, the co-founder and chief content officer of Who, What, Where, and this is Second Life, a podcast spotlighting women who have truly inspiring careers. We're talking about their work journeys, what they've learned from the process of setting aside their doubts or fears, and what happens when they embark on their second life. Today, I'm speaking with interiors and product designer, Sarah Sherman Samuel. Like I'm sure many of you, I've followed Sarah's career for years through her gorgeous Michigan home renovation to her remodels for celebrity clients like Mandy Moore and all of the incredible products she's designed along the way, like cabinets with semi-handmade, rugs, pillows, and wallpaper with Lulu and Georgia, and so much more. Her eponymous blog and stunning Instagram feed have also been huge hits where readers are inspired by Sarah's thoughtful use of color and unique blended aesthetics, creating artful spaces that are modern but warm and relaxed but edited. Her interiors have been featured in Dwell Magazine, on the cover of Architectural Digest, and most recently, her own home was featured on the cover of Domino Magazine. As an expert in the space, you might be surprised to learn that it took Sarah some time to find herself on the interiors path and instead started her career at an ad agency working on print design for high-end real estate clients. True story. Her path to finding creative fulfillment is incredibly relatable, and I can't wait to share her story. Now, on Second Life, it's Sarah Sherman Samuel. We like to go back all the way to the beginning on this podcast. So I'm wondering, what did you study in school and what did you think you were going to be when you grew up? So when I first went to school, it was for a bachelor's of fine art and in painting. I did that for two years. And then I discovered it was I think it was the senior show for the graphic design majors. And I went to it and I was like, oh, this is graphic design. I remember seeing this packaging set for these beauty products and they were beautiful and it had all these illustrations on it and I was like that's graphic design I want to do that 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 I could probably at least get a job (laughs) I thought a graphic design would be it'd be a lot easier to get a job I wasn't interested in being a starving artist I wanted to make money Um, I think you and I are quite similar in that sense of like, I thought I was going to be a novelist, but it's kind of hard to say to your parents, like, thanks, I'm done with school, I'm going to be a novelist. But at least with being a journalist felt like a practical application of some of the elements of writing that I really loved. And it sounds like you were in somewhat of a similar spot. Yes, exactly. So then I switched majors and I actually switched universities as well at the same time because there was a really good graphic design program at Western Michigan so that's where I transferred to and of course some of the classes transferred some did not and it's a three-year set 
program, their graphic design program. And you have all the classes for three years back to back to back. So that's what I did. So what was your first job and how did you get it? So my first job was at an ad agency in Miami. How did that happen? So on spring break, my senior year of college, we went to Miami. I went to Miami with a friend of mine who had a friend that lived in Miami. So we got, and we stayed with her. So we got like kind of the local, she showed us around her spots and stuff. And coming from Michigan, our little West Michigan bubble, it's not a very cultural area. And when I went down to Miami, I was like, so, oh, these people are speaking a different language. This is like so amazing. There's, everybody doesn't look like me. Like I was intrigued. It felt exciting and new and fresh. So Then when I graduated, my sister was going to school in Florida, not Miami, but close, close enough too. So I went down to visit her. And while I was going to visit her, I was like, well, I should set up interviews. So I was searching on like job boards, whatever. So it was a cold call. I applied while I was down there. I went in for an interview and I got the job and they wanted me to start that next Monday. So I flew back, packed up my car and drove down over the weekend and stayed with my sister and her husband for a while. And yeah, and I started that Monday. So what was the job like? What was your day-to-day like? What were your responsibilities? And what were you learning? So the job was awful. (laughs) I was a studio designer. It was at an ad agency. What does that mean, a studio designer? It's basically just an in-house graphic designer at an ad agency. And their clients were real estate, like high-end real estate, big buildings, like the Viceroy... St. Regis Hotel, things like that. And I basically did a lot of pushing type around a page and adjusting tiny lines. And Was this for digital or was this for print or? Yeah, for print. Okay, for print. so. So it was like I, we were designing the brochures. I didn't even, at the beginning, I wasn't designing the brochure. I was literally just like setting type. What was the learning curve like? Did you feel like? It was stuff you already knew how to do, or were you getting skills on the job? I remember they, I learned InDesign, the program for laying out brochures and stuff, but they were still using Quark Express at that time. I remember Quark. (laughs) Oh my gosh. They used that. Which I had never seen. They used that at L when I worked there. Oh, yeah. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. So I got in there and they were like, well, we only work in Quark you better figure it out. So they handed me like the Quark Express book that was like two inches thick and was like, here you go, figure it out. You're going to have to be working with this tomorrow. (laughs) Great. I mean, luckily, a lot of the stuff kind of transferred and I was able to pick it up. But I hate not knowing a program. It's like one of the most frustrating things. Like I hate not knowing how to do something. So it was a little annoying at the beginning, but I figured it out. But also in a weird way, I feel like maybe a good thing in the sense of like, this is just throwing you in, making you learn it yourself. Obviously, that's a skill that you have used over and over again, right? Right. Yes. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I mean, I feel like being an entrepreneur is a lot of just figuring it out on your own and you hope you have a manual. Sometimes you don't even have any guidebook. Usually you do not. Usually you do not. Um, so how long did you stay in that job? What did you like about it? And what was not for you? I stayed there about a year. I basically did not like almost everything about that job. That is honest. I appreciate that. <laughs> it was not the right fit on any level. The thing I did like was the 
account I was on was the Viceroy. And so that's where I learned about Kelly Wurstler and her design. I was staring at her images all day. Those were the pamphlets that I was going through was all her design work. So that's where I was like, oh, I've never seen interior design like that. I've never seen such imagination. I was so drawn to it that I was like, I want to be doing that, not pushing this typer on the page. I like that. So this is now sort of the second time already in your career at a very early stage that you've been exposed to something that that's turned on a light for you and then you've pivoted to go after it. That's really cool. So you're looking at all of this Kelly Wurstler work. You realize you wanted to do something in the design space that was more tactile in a way. Right. I also changed floor plans. So these buildings were getting built and the in the brochures, they had the floor plans. So it was set already. But then as they were getting built, they're like, oh, well, we moved this door slightly over here. So I get a set of floor plans with tiny changes where I'd have to go through into the brochure in the floor plans and make tiny changes. That's so interesting, though, like making you focus on spatial layouts and like where people are putting things, whether it was good or bad, and giving you a crash course in that very early on. Yeah. Yeah, that was some good that came out of it. So so the next thing that you did is you moved from, from graphic and print design into three-dimensional spatial design and started working at a furniture showroom. Right. How did you make that leap? How did you find that job? And what was it actually like? Okay, so that was kind of similar. I just was searching job boards. I just applied. They called and I went for the interview and got it. And I remember just being so elated being able to walk up into that building. And it was time for my review as well. Ah. And so they pulled me in for my review and they gave me my little raise. And I was like, thank you, but no, thank you. I will see you later. Thank you. I'm leaving. So what was your day-to-day like? What does it mean to work at a furniture showroom doing spatial design? Okay, well, so I got hired there to work the floor at first. Was this to the trade only or was it to everyone? Yeah, to everyone, general public. And it was a shop right on Lincoln Road. I don't know if you're familiar yes, with Miami I Beach. Yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of in the heart of all the chaos, but it was fun. Did you feel comfortable selling at that point? Did you know basic things about design? Did you understand how to make someone interested in buying that particular sofa or that table? How did that work? Oh, yeah. No, I think I was probably terrible at sales, but I <laughs> I loved being around the furniture. It was a family owned business. One brother ran it, but then the other brother was always in the back. The mom and dad were in and out. And Did you feel like you were getting an education while you were doing that in design? In more in furniture, because you're just right. exposed to so many different pieces. And quickly, I was able to start merchandising. So I do the front windows and do all the displays in, around the store. And that's what I loved. I was like, oh, I get to just play with furniture all day long. Did you feel like you had a knack for that right off the bat? Did you feel like you needed to study to do it? How how did that work? Yes, that was just, it felt like second nature. It felt like this is what I'm supposed to be doing is working with objects and furniture. And so it grew into then customers would come and would want help laying out their or need advice laying out their living room. And that I did feel comfortable doing. You just had a vibe for it. So that's that's really interesting because I remember like when I moved to LA, 
from New York. I'd lived with two roommates in New York. I'd had roommates my whole life. It was my first place on my own. And I bought a, not a sofa, a couch. And I was very specifically like trying to look up. I remember that Domino book came out and I was like trying to figure out why the room wasn't working and what the distance of the chair and like the size of the rug and trying to put like mathematical. Yeah, because I didn't have a sense of it because I didn't, I'd never created a room for myself. I didn't have any of that language. Where did yours come from? I mean, partially was just being in that store and you have so many options It's like you get to play around with it and experiment. In your own house, you order sofa. That's your one sofa that you have. You don't get to try out five different sofas in the space. But in the store, you could try things out. You can move things around. And I think learning by doing is just the best way to do it. And that's what I got to do. (laughs) It's the only way I think I've ever learned anything. I mean, I wish I learned things (laughs) like from books or wisdom from other people, but no, right. it's actually doing it is usually yeah. how it works for me. Right. So how long did you do that? What did you love about that job? And what was like, not for you? I think I was there for about a year and a half. So I then started buying and I did like purchasing for the store, which I also really enjoyed because then it's you start analyzing what sells and what does really well for the space. Even that was training my eye for my own aesthetic from the very beginning. And then sales too. I was exposed to so much of the back end of the business because it was so small. So I was seeing like all the day-to-day work that goes into owning your own small business. And then I also used my graphic design background while I was there helping them with their branding. I was like, you know, your logo could use a little bit of help. So I put, instead of like saying that straight out to him without anything to back it up, I did a whole branding thing on my own and proposed it to him. How did that go over? It actually went well. It was good. I mean, the family was great. They were so much fun to be around. And I remember just being like, I love my job. I was getting paid more than the office job that I absolutely hated. So it just reaffirmed that, okay, this is... I don't know what I'm going to do in the end, but th- it has to be something that involves this. So it, it sounds like it was fulfilling on a number of different levels. And to figure that out at that stage of your career, even if you didn't know exactly what it was, but to know that you were on the right track, that's priceless. Right. Yes, definitely. So what happened next? What did you do next? When I moved to Miami, I had a friend that was in my same design program moved to LA and I road tripped with her from Chicago to LA to move her to LA. And then I moved to Miami shortly after, but she was always trying to get me to move to LA. And I realized, okay, there's not that many creative opportunities, as many creative opportunities in Miami. So I might as well move to LA. (laughs) My grandmother actually passed away and she left me $2,000. So I had $2,000 to move my stuff across the country. And then I went job searching. That's very brave of you. What was that first job that you got in LA? And what was the full scope of it? So the first job was at a stationery shop. It was called Embry Papers in Brentwood. And I did their custom stationery. So people would come in and do like wedding invites or all sorts of custom stationery. I want to say I was there a year as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I did these all these year trials. And it was the same thing. They had given me a raise and I did really enjoy the work. I was craving something more. 
the good part was I, when I was doing all the station and doing my research, I was reading a lot of blogs and that exposed me to all these other creative jobs. And so that was really inspiring. And I was like, well, I think I can do something else. There's got to be something else. So I went back to the job boards <laughs> searching for a job. I, I had no connections anywhere. <laughs> so it was all just blind job searches. And I found this one that was for a paper products company. So it was at least 3D, but I can fall back on my graphic design background. And I applied to that. They did a trial, a couple day freelance trial, and then I got that job. So what were your responsibilities in this new job? So the company initially was an artwork licensing company, which means they created artwork and prints and pattern where other companies would purchase the artwork and license them for their products. But eventually the owners were like, okay, let's manufacture our own products. So that's what they did. And when I joined, they had one paper wrap binder in Target. So that's what I did. I designed patterns and then we made products, put the patterns on the products and then sold them to Target. What kind of products? So all fashion paper products. So like journals, notebooks, three ring binders, mag files, and then also stationery. So how would you come up with the ideas for the prints and the patterns? So that was a lot of looking at books, different things, also just playing with paintbrushes. Most were abstract at the beginning, but then we did a lot of nature prints because it was a like all recycled papers. So it was like an eco line. At the beginning, it was just me and the owners. And so I was doing the artwork. But then once we sold more product into Target, we needed more artwork. And, and then I'd find illustrators and artists and commission artwork. So as time went on, your position grew with that company, and you eventually became creative director, right? Right. So did you were you building a team at that point? Right, yeah. So And what did you know about building a team? No, nothing. <laughs> I think I did mostly well on that because it was so visual and it was all about what their their style was and if the style meshed. And I'm very good with visuals. I, I can also art direct well. So that part of the managing side, I was good at, like getting the look I wanted out of people. But the HR type of managing skills, I did not have. Well, again, I think that's another one of those things that you just kind of have to learn yeah. on the job. Right. Yeah. 100%. So while you're doing all of this and like the collection is going really well with Target and you are now building this team, you also started an interiors blog along during this whole period of time, correct? Right. So it was very exciting. The first, I'd say three, three and a half ish years I was there. We were always doing new stuff. It was long, crazy hours, super fast pace. But I love the work. I mean, I even remember my friends flying in. I was getting married and we we're going dress shopping for my wedding dress. And it was on a Saturday. And my boss called, oh, we got this big meeting with Walmart on Monday. I need you in the office. We need to make mock up like 100 binders. And I just like dropped everything. Sorry, guys, I have to go to work. Like all hands on deck. I mean, that's also how it grew so fast. We were just like on it all the time. So after three years of that, 
everything exciting, everything going at lightning speed, all new stuff, creating new patterns, building the team. Then we figure out, okay, this one floral print on this one format notebook sold like by far better than anything else. We got the bestseller. So then it became the game of let's just reproduce that with everything. The creativity was like through the roof for so long, but then suddenly we got into a groove and we got into what works. And then it was like just churning out a lot of the same. So then it was just managing people, just getting the work done. And that's when I started the blog. I started it because we bought a cabin in Michigan, actually, and we started renovating it. And I just started talking about it uh, on the blog, just for myself, just for fun, because I loved blogs and I was obsessed with magazines always. And I decided if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I committed to doing at minimum three posts a week. And I think Instagram was just maybe starting. That's what I was going to ask. Like, were you marketing it in any way through Instagram or social media? I wasn't posting very much because Instagram wasn't like a huge thing. So I didn't post a ton on Instagram, but enough. And I remember one of my blog posts that I did regularly was like scenes from the weekend. And it was always what I had Instagrammed that weekend. So at what point did you start thinking this is more than a hobby or a side project? I remember a cup of Joe featured the kitchen on her blog. And she has such a loyal following that that gave me such a huge hit of readers. And then Design Sponge picked it up and and like a few other places talked about it. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I more also started that blog just for the design community that I had been reading, but not a part of. All my jobs that I had were very small companies. So I didn't have that creative camaraderie. You didn't have a community. Exactly. And that's what ended up happening. It was fun seeing other like-minded people working on stuff and doing things and same with Instagram and renovating here and doing the projects you love, sharing it. Um, So I've watched a lot of your renovations over the years. Um, I enjoy it tremendously. I find it hugely intimidating from my side of it. What did you learn on that first project? Oh, so much. We did that all ourselves, except we had a tile guy come and lay the bathroom tile. But I learned, I mean, my whole life I've learned from my dad that you just figure things out. You figure out how to do it. Oh, so just like figuring out Quark and figuring out being a graphic designer, renovation was something that you just figured out yourself. Right. Yeah. With a lot of my dad's help. (laughs) Still, he's just like a human handbook in that sense. Oh, 100%. 100%. (laughs) So you were getting traction from that project. Right. Exactly. Design Sponge, Cup of Joe. People were starting to talk about it. And then at what point did you start thinking like, hey, maybe, maybe I do this full time. Maybe I take freelance clients. Maybe like what was the next transition? Well, I started the blog just for fun. I hoped eventually it would be a good marketing tool for whatever I did want to do. I never thought, oh, I'll blog for a living. Like, I just thought it would be a great marketing tool. I did know that I wanted to make my own products. I helped to build that company in a major way because it was me and the owners for quite a while. And it grew and grew and grew to this multi-million dollar company. 
And they paid me very well, I should say. And it was very hard to leave that salary. But I just always have had that in me, that that entrepreneurial spirit. Why not? Why don't I do this for myself? Right. You've been doing it for everyone else. Exactly. So it was just a matter of figuring out what I wanted to do for myself. And that was the trickier part. So what was that next move? So while I was still at that job and still doing the blog, I thought maybe I would fall back on graphic design. And I did. I got married while I was at that job. And it was a complete DIY wedding. I did the invitations, literally even the flowers. And it was a destination one too. So I had like shipped however many hundreds of roses. But I love the idea of designing events and using my design skills towards that. So I did one for a friend of mine, the whole, like design the whole event. I, lo- I remember loving Bash Please, which now they're friends of mine. And I didn't know them at the time, but it's like, I can do that. So I did the whole thing. I even made napkins, cloth napkins for it because I used, I was like, well, if I do them here and that's part of the product line I want to have at the end, it'll be like, a boost, I can name it and, and I'll already have press if I get it picked up by press. And so I was like, had these wheels turning, but I did the whole wedding and she was like dream client as far as brides go. And still it was completely exhausting. And so I realized that's not what I'm going to be doing, but the blog did give me the confidence. It didn't give me the money yet. But it gave me the confidence. So by the end of that five year, I had saved up enough in my savings to cover a year of my expenses. Granted, I was also married at the time, but I had to have my own money um, for me to feel comfortable. And that also gave me the cushion to, so what if I don't make money for a year, that's okay. It gave me the time to explore and figure out what I wanted to do. So you decide you'd been there for five years. You decide, I'm going to figure out my own thing not events, but your own thing. You have a year's worth of expenses saved. What was the first thing you did? I did take from that wedding the napkins that I designed, and I designed more, and I came out with a line of tea towels, napkins. I developed a picnic basket and then cutting boards that I had designed and my dad made, and then I'd sand and finish like myself. I would be sanding and finishing. And so I launched this small kind of capsule collection of products and I called it a sunny afternoon, put that on my site. And then I was also doing, I think around the same time, got my first like sponsored blog post. Okay. So you had multiple revenue streams. Right. And then from the blog, that's when the interiors started. Because from the renovations on the blog, me tracking, people would write in and be like, do you offer e-design? And so I started with e-design because also it felt much less intimidating than just, oh, I'm an interior designer now. So I love that. So you're you're on your own, you're designing products, you are doing freelance work, you're doing freelance design work, um, consulting for like room decor, essentially, like room design. Yeah. You've got sponsorships on the blog. So mm-hmm. you, you've got a lot of things going all at the same time. Was oh, the yeah. idea just to like see what took off? The plan was that for me to see what I loved. I love a lot of things. <laughs> I like being creative and I like working on a lot of different creative avenues. By trying all the things, not only do they inform each other, 
but then I'm also able to see what I truly love doing. And so it's a, a mutual the, selection process. Ex- you exactly. had to love it and it had to love you exactly. and it all had to work together. Okay, I got right. it. Yeah. So there was also a few other things I was doing. Like I would do branding and logos still, but I did website design. I also did some freelance photography for different brands. Like a creative catch-all. Like if it was creative and came your way and was interesting, you would say yes and try it. Exactly. And then how did your collaboration with Semi Handmade come about? So that came quite far after all my catch-all everything. <laughs> I realized that interiors and products, that's my lane and that's where I love and how they both inform each other so well. But we were living in a townhouse through all that period. Then we bought a house in LA after renovating the Michigan cabin. Then we had a huge, our little bungalow in Venice needed major renovations and we did it more bit by bit and that's when I first worked with semi-handmade so semi-handmade is a company that they make unique and quality door fronts and drawer fronts that fit onto Ikea kitchen boxes so you can go to Ikea buy the cabinet boxes or cabinet frames without the doors and then you get the doors from semi-handmade and they also make like the trim and the toe kicks so you get the look of a custom kitchen for a lot less so I used them in that LA kitchen and that kitchen went crazy viral on Pinterest like it took off I think it ticked a lot of boxes of it was modern but still treaded on traditional it was a mix of styles that kind of hits that middle of the road that the general public really loves (laughs) I mean, how satisfying that has to be, though, that you created something just for yourself and then the world basically like fell head over heels in love with it. Right. I know that was very satisfying. And then it was crazy to see how many people made that exact same kitchen (laughs) and still does. Like semi handmade John, the owner, tells me still once a week he'll get an email being like, I want that kitchen. Wow. Yeah. Semi handmade was also a new company at that point. We were both kind of just starting. I was early to interiors and he was just starting out with his business. And then a couple years later, I was designing someone's kitchen and I was like, man, I really wish I could find this more modern beaded style. And then I was like, I'm going to ask John, I'm going to make him make it. So I put together a presentation, I drew the drawings, I made a rendering of the kitchen and I sent it to him and I pitched him like, I think you should make this, let's do it together. And he was like, that's wonderful. I was actually thinking it would be great to do a collaboration with you. And so that's how it was born. That's amazing. At what point did you start taking on clients? You've worked with so many of my friends and colleagues over the years. I remember seeing you working with O'Joy and with Maya Brenner, who's my neighbor and friend, yeah. and thousands and thousands of people, it feels like. So how did that <laughs> process start? At what point did you have the confidence to be like, yes, I, I will design your house, Garans? Right. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still feel like every time I get an inquiry, I'm like, can I really do this? You still have imposter syndrome? <laughs> yes, 100%. Because I still had that, okay, I went to design school. I don't lack confidence in my actual talent of being able to do it. But the confidence I lacked was I never went to interior design school. So maybe my process is going to be funny. I didn't know the workflow of an interior designer. 
So by doing the e-design, I basically just treated it like graphic design clients, charged hourly, and it was easy. And then by doing it for friends or friends of friends, that was another way to ease me in further. I remember one job specifically where it was just so exciting because it was an e-design, so I got to see it in person. Like I got to go to the install and and do it and be like, oh, this is this whole room. They listened to me. They picked all the things I said to pick and it looks gorgeous. And that was like, okay, I think I can do this. <laughs> well, you ha- the training wheels came off at some point. Right, exactly. So sometimes in speaking with interior designers, they have been candid about the fact that they love the process, but not always the clients, that that part is hard because like you have a vision for something and a client might want something else. How do you navigate perhaps someone's taste not aligning with yours or having different visions for something. I think I've gotten incredibly lucky with that, partially because of the blog and because of Instagram and Pinterest or whatever. Like my look and what I can do is out there. So people do come to me for that. And that's the benefit of kind of backing your way into interior design because it's people came to me for my look. I wasn't doing the interior design before I had a look. That said, my job as a designer is to go through all the options, do all the options. I have a total analytical brain where I, even before I put something to paper, I've already tried out 800 options in my head. But it's hard when that person doesn't 100% trust and they're like, well, can I see another option? Can I see another option? And that doesn't happen very often. And that's that's the the most frustrating part. But I think that's only actually happened with one client. And okay, it just takes a lot more work. But I charge hourly anyway, so I'm like, okay, I guess <laughs> I'll just make some more money, and then you'll pick what I picked at the beginning anyway. <laughs> I love I love 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 that. So something else I also am very appreciative of is your collaboration with Lulu and Georgia. Mm. So you design rugs and pillows and wallpaper and so many things with them. You also do hardware with Park Studio and you have your beautiful tile, which is just so heavenly with Concrete Collaborative. So you have at this point now all of these amazing product collaborations and lines. How do you balance everything get your inspiration straight, figure out what you want to design, and do you have a favorite project? Every single one, except Concrete Collaborative, was a little different because they were the ones that came to me and said, let's do something. And I'd always, I wanted to do tiles. I was like, yes, yes, let's do that. But other ones, I already had in mind what I wanted and I pitched to them. So are you really coming from a place of like, you're designing into white space for something that you want for your own projects and that you just aren't seeing Can't out find. there at that price point or that you know fabrication or whatever it is. Exactly. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you're making it for you, but then everyone else likes it. Yeah. Yes. That's 100%. nice. That's kind of like your kitchen. <laughs> right. Exactly. Your Venice kitchen. You're like, I'm yes. just making this for me, but then everyone else is into it. So did you go to Lulu and Georgia too and pitch them that collaboration? So Lulu and Georgia, Sarah, the owner of Lulu and Georgia, we were on the same panel at uh, Create and Cultivate. So we got talking and then I said something about wallpaper. She was like, what, you design wallpaper? And I was like, well, I did the wallpaper in my office and I did the wallpaper in my son's room and I did the wallpaper at that light lab project. 
And she's like, well, we could, we do wallpaper too. Let's produce it. And so that's how that started. We had originally talked about rugs, but the wallpaper was going to be fast. Do you have a favorite project? Well, the rugs, I was going to say, I, picking a favorite project, product-wise, feels like picking a favorite child. But the rugs, I think, I'd have to say are probably my favorite. They gave me full creative control. Amazing. Complete. And I went to work. I first started pen and paper, brought it into the computer, refined it, sent them what I wanted to do. Then we met. We we picked the ones we were going to have sampled. I got to pick the materials and everything. And they produced it. And But that collection came from me. When I'm sourcing rugs, I would always say how I go down this huge rug black hole and searching for the right rug. There's a bazillion rugs out there. There's certain looks that I'm always looking for, and they're very hard to come by. So that is what I made that rug collection around. I love it. Okay, so we like to talk about mistakes on this podcast. So I'm hoping that you can tell us a little bit about a mistake that you've made in your career and what you've learned from it. I feel like mistakes is a harsh word because it's all part of the learning process. (laughs) Any mistake that you have, air quotes, you learn from and it informs whatever you do. But that said, (laughs) I did learn some things the hard way with as far as contracts go, just make sure you have tight contracts from the beginning. I've been burned maybe only once, but... That's all it took? That's all it took. I learned from that. <laughs> so a lot of the women, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are in their first career or in their first life, and many are interested in switching lanes, but maybe a little bit afraid of that evolution. What advice would you give someone who knows that they want to move on, whether it's to switch careers or go into business for themselves? What advice would you give someone who wants to do that but is a little bit nervous about making the leap? Right. So I would say just start. Just start. (laughs) Just start doing. And even if you don't know what you want to do, like I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, you'll learn in doing it's true. It seems like for you, a lot of the times, like you're working on one thing and then you would have a side project. And sometimes that side project would take off. And sometimes that side project was event planning and apparently not your thing. But that's how you figured it out by doing it on the side and and trying and then also being able to realize like, nope, that's not for me. And I think that's a really important skill set to have because there's a difference between that was hard and I'm never going to do it again because I don't like it. And that was right. hard, but I love it. And I'm going to figure out a way to make it easier and better. Yes, exactly. Life is too short to spend time doing something that you don't love doing. Yes, I, I fully agree. Yeah. Okay. So my last question is my favorite question, which is if you could go back in time and speak with younger Sarah and give her some advice, what would you say? I don't know if I'd give I'd give her advice. I'd probably ask her. She could give me advice now. (laughs) Really? Yeah, I was fearless. And I just, I was either very confident or just naive, but it worked for me. (laughs) And I just would figure it out. I mean, I still figure it out. But I think my younger self would tell me just to chill the F out. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I love that. And that's also true. I think the reality of it is, though, I think about the risks that I took when I left Elle magazine and moved across the country to be a freelance writer. And then Catherine wanted to start Who, What, Where. And I was like, yes, let's do it. I didn't even think about it. I just said yes. But I also was like 25 and lived alone and, you know, just had to basically just had to pay for like rent and ramen. Like it's, there wasn't a lot on the line. And, and I also think at that point in time, there's no, I mean, like there's no social media. You lived a much more low profile life in some ways. Whereas now I can see how it would be scary because it's like you have a legacy of doing something. You don't want to fall flat on your face, but at the same time, like if we don't keep trying new things, if we don't keep evolving, then we're dinosaurs. And we right. all know what happened to them. Yes. That is a very good way to put it. <laughs> and so I fully understand your desire to tap into that youthful fearlessness. It's hard. It's hard when you have a mortgage and kids. Yes. It just it just changes. <laughs> but but I think that we can all tap into that. And it seems like you do it in such a smart way because you just keep testing, 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 and seeing how things go. And then committing to it. Well, I do feel like I found my groove and my true passion and my love. And it is product and interiors. And they both fit together so well. And especially how I approach my interiors and product is so informed even by my graphic design degree. And every little step along the way, it all came together. Well, I I think that's one of the things that I like most about your career is that it might seem circuitous, but every different thing that you were doing just kept building towards this apex and into this like really seamless, thoughtful, informed, current career. And you needed to do all of that other stuff to get to where you are now. And and I think that's part of why you're so successful. And (laughs) and very successful you are because Lord knows I enjoy the hell out of your interiors. You're so talented. There's the the product is so good. Everything is so good. So I feel super honored that you would take the time to sit down with me. So thank you, Sarah. I cannot tell you how much I was looking forward to this. Me too. Thank you. That was the interior designer and expert, Sarah Sherman-Samuel. For more inspiring interviews with women like Sarah, head on over to secondlifepod.com, where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to rate and review us. We love seeing you spread the word on social. And now you can tag us in your posts. We are at Second Life Pod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We always want to know who you'd like to hear from on the show. So if you have a good idea, send it our way to hello at secondlifepod.com. Or you can DM us on Instagram. I'm at Hillary Kerr. The show is at Second Life Pod. Our DMs are always open. I'm Hillary Kerr, and you've been listening to Second Life.